Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. What I want to do this morning is I want you to open your Bibles to the first chapter of Philippians. First chapter of Philippians. As you're doing that, let me introduce the subject. I want to talk to you this morning about invincible joy. Invincible joy. Do you know that joy, invincible joy, is one of the great themes of this book? It's one of the great themes of the Creator for this world and the world to come. Did you know that? Let me just highlight that to make the point here. Creation began with shouts of joy. This is what God says to Job in chapter 38, a few different verses in chapter 38 as he's questioning Job. Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. On what were its bases sunk Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Let's say that with a little more joy. When all the sons of God shouted for joy. Creation began with shouts of joy. Do you know that recreation occurs amidst shouts of joy? I'm talking about the recreation of a human heart, one lost and dead in sin, when the Spirit of God calls that individual to Himself and that person puts their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that there are shouts of joy in heaven about that? Let me just read that for you. Here's what Jesus said in Luke, the 15th chapter of the 7th verse. Jesus said, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Just give me a little liberty here with the text. What I see here is a shout of joy, what I believe I hear in my heart and in my mind's eye is a shout of joy as a sinner comes to the recognition of their desperate need. And God opens up their mind to understand His love and His grace in Jesus and they put their trust in Him. I see the Father, the Creator of heaven on the throne leaning back and letting out this spontaneous shout of joy as he rejoices over that sinner coming. And the one who sits on the throne, when he does something in that outbreak of joy, it is contagious, and the angels join in, and there is a party in heaven when a sinner is reborn. Thirdly, creation will end 
with shouts of joy. Did you know that? Just like when the curtain went up on creation, there were shouts of joy when the curtain is coming down on creation. Jesus said, or when Jesus returns, this lamb of revelation, when He returns to come and win the final victory that He's already accomplished through His death and resurrection. When He comes to fulfill that in the actual realm in Revelation 19.7, John seeing into that day, seeing into the future, when He would return says this, Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. Let us rejoice. That's shouts of joy as the curtain comes down on this little slice of time between two eternities in the last days. And then as the curtain goes up for the final time, Did you know there'll be shouts of joy that I believe will echo on throughout eternity? Referring again to the final day and the beginning of the eternity that follows, Isaiah, inspired by the Spirit of God, wrote these words in Isaiah 35, And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and shall come to Zion with singing and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. You see, what that says is not only is there a shout of joy, that's what there's going to be that point forward forever, and there will be none. No aspect, no antagonist to no enemy of joy because sorrow and sighing will flee away. Creation begins with shouts of joy. Recreation occurs amidst shouts of joy. The end of this creation as we know it occurs amidst shouts of joy in the eternity that follows has the shouts of joy ringing out. That's what Scripture says. Are you you hearing the unmistakable truth that the Word of God is portraying here? Let me just state it very explicitly. Here it is. God is passionate about creating things that bring Him and His creation joy. That's our God. And what is the greatest of all of God's creation? It is those created in His image, those recreated in the image of His Son. Don't you think His plan for them, His plan for you as sons and daughters is that you would be a person experiencing His joy? Here's the question. Are you living up to that potential? Listen to what Jesus wrote in John 15, 11. 
He said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus said that what he wants to do is to give us his joy and if you have his joy, how much joy do you have? Full joy. Full joy. That's his plan for you as a son or you as a daughter of God. Jesus came to give his children full joy. So what has happened? What has happened? Have you ever known? Have you ever been guilty of being a Christian? And yet, the people that are around your life, if you would ask them what characterizes your life, would they say joy? Or would they say lemon juice? What would they say? What would they say? Like you are exuberant and you are exuding this contagious joy or have you been sucking on a lemon? What would they say about your life? Three prospectors back in the gold rush days were way back up in them, their hills. And they were working together and came upon a vein rich in gold. And so what they did was that they secretly up in the hills agreed together that they would keep this information secret and they would at different times make their journey to town and they would go to the claims office and stake a claim so that they could get possession of the land in which the vein of gold was and they promised to one another they would say nothing about what they had found. And so they followed their plan one by one, different times, went to the town, went to the claims office, staked their claims. Everyone was faithful to the agreement. No one said a word They went over to the hardware store and got the supplies that they needed. But when they would head back out of town, up into them, their hills, they had a following. Why? Because though they said nothing with their mouth, their body language couldn't hide the excitement that they had in their life and people saw it and said something is up and we're going to follow them and find out what they found. What a great picture of what the Christian life is supposed to be like. We have got something far greater than the gold in them, their hills. We have the greatest treasure in the universe. In fact, We have the very riches of God because all of the riches of God. And how many riches is that? How many riches is all the riches of God? 
It's all of them. And they're yours in Jesus Christ. If you are a son or a daughter of God, if you are a joint heir with Christ, they are all yours. Shouldn't then, when people come into contact with our life, have some kind of an indication that we have something pretty incredible about our lives that we know, that we believe? It should be contagious. It should spill out like an artesian well and not only soak us in the joy, but the people that get fairly close to our lives, they should be getting deluged as well. I just think about the person of Jesus. Why When Jesus began his ministry, did the people flock to him? Hordes of people clamor to be close to him. It wasn't because he was sucking on a lemon. It wasn't because of that. There was a joy that he had. The joy of the Lord. He had the fullness of joy. That's why he can give it. What about us? Is that the way that we're characterized? Let me just be facetious here for a moment to make the point even more directly. Let me come at this in the opposite direction and let me tell you how to live a life without joy and hate every minute of it. Okay? Let me give you some bullet points on how to live a life without joy and hate every minute of it. Number one, base your life on circumstances. Base your life on circumstances. You want to kill your joy? Base your life on circumstances. This kind of a philosophy for life is this. It is a when-then philosophy. A when-then philosophy. What's a when-then philosophy? Well, a when-then philosophy goes something like this. When I get the new car, then I'll be happy. When I get the promotion, then I'll be happy. For some, when I get married, then. For others, a little more desperate, when I get a date, then. For some, when I have children and the pitter-patter of feet running around the house, then, for others on the backside of that, when I get rid of my children and they're out of the house, then. A when-then philosophy of life. You want to kill your joy? Live by that. Secondly, wallow in the pit of worry. Just think about every potential thing that could go wrong and rehearse it. Number three, be be very committed to meeting your own needs and ignoring the needs of other people. You want to kill your joy? That'll do it. Forget about getting committed to a church. 
You want to kill your joy? Just stay isolated. Don't get connected to a family. Don't get close in relationship with some other Christian people who can walk with you and pray with you. You want to kill your joy? Don't even think about giving to the church or to people in need. Just take what you got and hold it tightly for yourself. Just grasp it and hoard it and be greedy. I'll kill your joy. Guarantee it. Now that was just a little bit of fun. But the point is, there is a way for us to live in joy. A joy that transcends. A joy that is in spite of, not because of circumstances. A joy that is undefeatable, invincible. And so what I want to do is I want to look at in the remaining time that we have, I want to look at the life of the Apostle Paul, particularly a few verses from his letter to the church at Philippi. Philippians. Did you know that the letter of Philippians is called the letter of joy? Over and over again in this letter, Paul is writing and telling them to rejoice. That's joy. And here is the irony. Do you know where he wrote the letter to the church at Philippi from? Anybody know? From prison. He was sitting in a prison chained up, under guard, innocently there because of his proclamation for the person of Jesus, just wanting to share the life-giving message of Jesus. Yet there he languished in the prison, and while he's languishing there, if anybody had a right to be discouraged and downtrodden and complaining about their circumstances. It was Paul, and he picks up his pen, and he crafts the great letter of joy in the New Testament. Isn't that awesome? Here's a guy with invincible joy. And we can look and find out what some of the keys were that Paul had that unlocked that joy for him so that we can take those keys and we can with them apply them to our lives and unlock the treasure vaults of heaven's joy for us so that we can live with invincible joy, a joy that transcends what life brings, that goes over and through and rises above and conquers that is invincible, undefeatable. I'm going to give it to you in one overarching statement, and then I'm going to give you some points, but it really is centered in one verse in Philippians, and this verse is, I believe, the verse that is the the big idea of the entire letter. It is the chief text in the entire letter. Many times when I preach, I communicate to you explicitly what the big idea is for the Sunday, the big truth or the big idea. I always have it in mind. Sometimes I, I tell you about it. 
I'm going to make it explicit here. It's found in Philippians 1.21 where Paul said this, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul is saying at least two things here. He lives because of Christ. I can just give you the practical reality of that. It's Christ that created all things. He's the creator. Paul was physically alive because Christ allowed him to be alive. He created him. But not just that, he's the atonement through which Paul was recreated, made into a spiritual being as well as a physical being. So Paul's physical and spiritual life is really a reality because of Jesus Christ. So it's very appropriate for him to say, for me to live as Christ. In other words, that Jesus or Paul lives through Jesus. But here's another part of the truth that is in the statement, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, that Jesus lived through Paul. Jesus lived through Paul. It was the Spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit, dwelling in Paul that led him and guided him and taught him and corrected him and rebuked him and transformed him day in and day out. That is a part of what Paul meant when when he wrote the words, for me to live is Christ. He is my source every moment of every day. I live through Him and He lives through me. So here's the big idea. Live in Jesus, live with joy. If you're taking notes, here's the big idea. Live in Jesus, live with joy. I'm going to give you a couple of bonuses today that I don't usually give you. I'm not only going to give you the big idea, I'm going to give you the medium idea and the small idea. Here's the medium idea that goes along with the big idea. Paul says in Philippians 1.18, the last part of that verse, he's talking about his life, and he makes this statement. He's rejoicing, but then he says this, Yes, and I will rejoice. Do you, do you hear what Paul is saying there? Paul is in the dungeon. Paul is on death row. And yet, overflowing out of his life is this statement, I am going to rejoice. Yeah. Amen. I'm hunting for a witness here. Amen. So, two things that Paul lived in Jesus and that Jesus lived through Paul. Big idea, live in Jesus, live with joy. Here's the medium idea. Joy is a choice. Joy is a choice. I don't mean it's only a choice. It's the Spirit of God that lives in us that produces the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, and the second one is joy. But we make a conscious decision day in and day out whether we're going to let the reality of our spiritual condition impact the reality of our physical condition and our surroundings. Are we going to live based upon the joy that transcends even 
the valleys, the deep valleys that I'm in right now? Am I going to live with that kind of a joy? Let me give you an example. The greatest life that did that. Here's the quote. Jesus, who for the... Say it, church. Who for the joy... Ready? Jesus, who for the set before Him, endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right end of the throne of God. That's the greatest, most difficult valley to endure possible. And yet Jesus, who for the set before Him, endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus made a choice in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Father, if it's possible for this cup to pass, meaning the cross, then let it be so. But if not, your will be done. That's a choice. That's a choice. And Paul made a decision just like Jesus made a decision as he sat there and languished in that prison that he was going to live in joy by saying, I am rejoicing and I will rejoice. Are you going to make that decision? Are you going to say, come what may, come what may, because of the joy set before me as a son or a daughter of God, I'm going to live in invincible joy. So big idea. Live in Jesus, live with joy. Medium idea, Jesus' joy is a choice. And here's a small idea. Dump the grump. Dump the grump. Said another way, if you're a Christian, inform your face that you are. People need to see the joy of the Lord in us. That's not an unrealistic reality. That's not hiding from the pains and the problems of the world. Does it mean no tears? Jesus cried. He wept when He looked out over the lost condition of His people. But He was a life that bubbled up with joy. And here's Paul in a prison, bubbling up with joy, writing to people who were facing persecution. And he said to them, keep rejoicing. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I will rejoice. So live in Jesus, live with joy. Joy is a choice. Dump the grump. Now let me give you, in the last over 10 minutes here, let me give you three lessons of invincible joy from the life of the Apostle Paul, right from his own words himself right here. I'll give you the point, and then I'll give you the Scripture. Number one is this, first lesson of invincible joy, the key lesson. And it's this, live for the highest cause. Live for the highest cause. And here's the highest cause. Advance 
the good news of Jesus. You want to live with invincible joy? Get your life committed to living for a cause that is eternal. The one cause that is the greatest cause in the universe, and that is advancing the good news of Jesus Christ. That'll give you something to be joyful about even when everything the world hands you wants to steal away your joy. That's why Jesus said that He wants to give joy, but not like the world gives. That His joy overcomes the world. His joy is greater than any of the negative or the valleys or the defeat. His joy is an overcoming joy. It's an invincible joy. Just like He lived it out, by considering the joy set before him. Same is true of us. Same was true of Paul. He lived his life for the highest cause, advancing the good news of Jesus. Now, wait a minute, Pastor Brad. That's your job. That's what you do. You get paid to do that. I do. Hallelujah. Praise God for that. So do you. If you track your paycheck back and back and back, Who really drafted it? Who signed it? Who owns the cattle on a thousand hills in the wealth in every mine? Who owns all the mineral deposits in the world? And who owns the intelligence that he gave you to make a living? And on and on. It, point being, stewardship, not ownership. You're a steward. He's the owner. You're a steward, he's the owner. Say it with me. You're a steward, he's the owner again. You're a steward, he's the owner. Whatever you do, whatever you do, see it as a means by which you can extend and advance the gospel of Jesus Christ living for the highest cause. You have to do it differently than I do it, but you can do it. Matter of fact, you're called and commanded to do it. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. He didn't say that just to 12 men. He said it to every son and daughter, every heir of salvation throughout all of history. It's your job. It's your calling from heaven. Live for the highest cause. Advancing the good news of Jesus. Because here's the truth. What you live for determines your joy. I mean, that's obvious, right? What you live for determines your joy. Philippians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul said, What then? Only that in every way, whether in Pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. He's talking about his imprisonment, and he's talking about what is happening because of his imprisonment. And he says, some preach Christ. They they know I'm here, and my example has motivated them to preach the gospel. Others are doing it to try to get me in trouble. But the point, he says, is this. I don't care why they do it as long as they do it. I want the gospel to go forth. Paul's life was a life lived 
focused on the highest cause, advancing the good news of Jesus. That's why he could sit in that prison and write a letter of abounding joy, invincible joy, because he knew the key. And the key is what you live for determines your joy. Hunting for a witness. Number two, live with the brightest hope. Live with the brightest hope. And here it is. The victory that is going to be yours. I mean, you have victory already spiritually, but the victory that's going to be yours in Jesus as a child of God. The victory that's going to be yours. All victory. We sang the song, all victory is His. All victory is going to be yours. As with Him, so with you. As with Him, so with you. All victory. All the treasures of heaven. All the pains and ills answered. All the evils reconciled. All the disasters turned to joy. All victory. All victory. Live with the brightest hope. Anticipating the victory. I mean, that's what Jesus did, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right. He saw the throne, and he saw what was coming, and the enemy came and said at the beginning of his ministry, hey, let me give you a shortcut. Why don't you turn these stones into bread? Why don't you throw yourself from the temple? Prove who you are. Why don't you bow down and worship me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Jesus knew all the kingdoms of the world were coming to him. What he had to do is go through the cross and the resurrection. And he was obedient to his Father's will in the cross. Therefore, Philippians chapter 2, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every tongue will confess Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, Jesus was going to receive from the Father all the kingdoms of the world who for the joy set before Him endured the cross. It's the same way we have to endure it. We have to focus on the joy set before us. Live with the brightest hope. Anticipating our victory through Christ. Because here's the truth. What you trust in determines your joy. What you live for determines your joy, number one. And number two, what you trust in determines your joy. And here's number three. Third lesson of invincible joy. You know, I didn't even give you the verse for number two. Philippians 1.20, it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Do you see what Paul is saying there? He's got this undefeatable truth that he's holding on to that what's going to happen is he is going to come to the end and not be ashamed. He's going to come to the end and he's going to get what He's anticipating this victory that Jesus is going to give him. And then number three, 
live out the greatest contribution. And here it is. Increasing others' joy in Christ. That's just one way of saying making disciples. Philippians 1, 25 and 26, Paul said, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Do you see what he's saying there? Paul, in in another passage in Philippians, said, For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. In other words, I'd really like to go home. But I know if I stay, it's going to help you. So I know I'm going to stay a while. I know I'm going to stay a while. I'm going to continue living for the greatest contribution. I'm going to help you, Philippians, in the writing of this letter, I'm going to help you live greater and greater in the joy of the Lord. Because here's the truth. What you give away determines your joy. What you give away determines your joy. How can you increase the joy of others? First of all, give out your strength for their joy. Paul said, verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Paul is saying, I am going to give out my strength to help you come to deeper measures of the joy of Christ. Secondly, give up your desires for others' joy. Philippians 1, 23 and 24, My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. You hear that? I'm giving up my desire. I need to stay here for you, and I'm going to do it. I'd like to go home. I'm going to stay here for you. So Paul gave out his strength for their joy. He gave up his desires for their joy, and then he gave over his time for their joy. Verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So here's the truth. What you surrender to determines your joy. And what Paul surrendered to was the cause of Jesus Christ. And because he surrendered and gave himself for that, he received all the blessings of it. 